Welcome to the Broadcast Exchange from Newscast Studio. I'm your host, Dak Dillon. On the exchange, we talk with those leading the future of broadcast technology, design, and content. This week, I'm joined by David Ross, CEO of Ross Video. Now, Ross Video is at the forefront of broadcast production, creating the tools and the technology powering many newsrooms and studios around the globe. In our conversation, we look at the lessons learned in 2020 for broadcasters and the road ahead, along with the ever-changing technology stack. Plus, we look at Ross Video's commitment to a living wage and talk about trade shows this year. 2020 was a hard year, and it was hard both for broadcasters having to learn kind of new techniques and new ways to adapt on the fly, um, but also it really dramatically impacted the broadcast supply chain. Um, how did Ross fare last year, and you know, uh, what lessons are you taking away from it? Oh, uh, well, it, it was an interesting experience for sure. I remember back around uh, April, we, uh, we were concerned. Uh, we saw sales sort of drop as everybody stopped buying everything, not knowing you know, what was going to happen next. I know that uh, we have a, a production division called uh, Ross Production Services. Uh, they lost uh, pretty much the year's uh, contracts uh, mm -hmm. in, in one 24-hour period. That was that was a bad day. I remember getting that phone call, uh, and I think it didn't take very long before we put everybody on a four-day week, uh, saying, you know, we're going to create something called Lifeboat Ross. We're going to take care of everybody, uh, and we don't know what's going to happen next, but we want to be very cautious. And we put everybody on a four-day week for four days of pay, uh, and uh, within about six weeks, we saw that things were brightening up for Ross, and we immediately brought people back to five days. Uh, and on five days pay. And I think we noticed, started to realize that things are going actually even better than expected. Uh, and we actually refunded everybody all their pay, uh, that if, whether they worked or not on those days. Many people did work, uh, regardless, just out of uh, commitment, I suppose, which I, I appreciated. Uh, and uh, we also started to realize that um, uh, there's a lot of talk about the uh, some of the lowest paid people in in, uh, in the industry and in the world were carrying most of the risk. You know, people who are uh, Uber drivers, people who are, you know, at, working at grocery stores and things like that, that had to be there and were uh, potentially exposed. And in our case, it was our people in our factory. So we reorganized the factory to be safe, but we still uh, wanted to thank them for what they were doing. So we actually instituted a $20 minimum wage. Uh, for all of anybody who works at Ross Video. And uh, that actually positively benefited over 100 families uh, in our community, which I, I thought was uh, kind of a, a neat thing that happened in the company. Uh, and as the, uh, the year went on, um, uh, Ross Production Services managed to adapt uh, and they, they actually finished ahead of target for the year, which uh, I think surprised and impressed all of us uh, using a lot of robotics and remote mm -hmm. technology. Uh, some of which they developed right on the fly. And uh, and we finished the year up 4% over the previous year. So it was a new record. Uh, it, it's, it's a touchy thing, actually, to celebrate growing in 2020 because we know it was so so difficult for, for so many people, not just in the broadcast industry, but in the world, uh, it both work and uh, family-wise as well. Uh, so... We tried to walk that carefully, but also right, thank our people for, for making it happen and our customers. Yeah, I mean, you hit on wage inequality and the journalism sector in particular, you know, uh, has always 
used, you know, interns and, uh, you know, freelancer, freelance journalists to help get, get us over that hurdle to get content and create content. So for you putting out, you know, putting yourself forward as a leader then and raising the minimum wage when here in the US, you know, we're right now hashing out 15 and should it be 15 or not? And, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, why did that feel like it was such an important step to take? Because it is something that, you know, is kind of unprecedented from some of the other, your other, your peer group. Yeah, it was interesting because we, we are a global company and uh, I, I know that our, our European uh, employees uh, let us know that they had conversations on the side saying, how strange, that's a North American company that gave a major raise to the people who are the lowest paid without being forced either competitively or, or through legislation. They went, we really like this company. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think one of the things that I, I realized is that, I mean, it's hard for a restaurant to do that, for example. Mm. Uh, we don't pay enough for our meals. We don't appreciate uh, how thin the margins are in that industry and how competitive it is. As a broadcast manufacturer, uh, we have so many different types of costs. We've got many, we've got R&D costs, marketing costs, trade shows, travel, uh, the cost of the, the raw materials, uh, and, and all sorts of overheads. And then you've got the people who are actually putting it together. And while you're paying a competitive wage, maybe at 15 bucks an hour or something like that for that job, when I did the math, and I found, and I raised it to 20, which I knew was moving. If they had a family and they're a single wage earner, I found that that took them from being below the living, above the poverty line, but below a living wage uh, to significantly on the other side of that. And it cost Ross, I think it was 0.3% of our overall payroll impact 100 families. I just looked at that and I talked to my family and, uh, uh, it really, it became a no-brainer. Uh, when I when I was debating it, and I was talking to some people. I actually had people cry uh, just in the thought of doing it. And I went, okay, this actually is is even more impactful than I than I I, I, I realized. So it was quite a quite a big deal. And the interesting thing that happened as well is, while obviously the recipients of that were uh, were very grateful. Uh, and it did make a difference. And I got a lot of messages from people saying specifically how it changed their lives. Uh, what I thought was more and more important was I got even more emails from people who it didn't impact that worked in our company that were well off mm -hmm. and saying that that was the most important thing they'd ever seen me do, which I thought was uh, a good reflection on human nature. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, I'm sure it will increase worker productivity, you know, on the back end, but also employee satisfaction, um, especially, you know, as we all try and rethink what the new normal becomes in, you know, in the years ahead. Generally speaking, in the journalism industry, folks are focused on these kind of things enough, you know, in terms of giving back? That's an interesting question. Well, a, bit, a lot of the people in the journalism industry and, and also in live production industry in general uh, are maybe aren't at the higher end pay scale of, of mm -hmm. where, they, where they should be paid compared to the skill and the risks and, and, and the importance of what they do, especially in a live production uh, and the revenues that are based upon that. Um, I, I, I think that they also, certainly on the journalistic side of things, you know, they punch above their weight in getting that message out. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so uh, in in a way of of making everybody uh, that they reach, uh, and and then those people from there, um, thinking about wage inequality, thinking about you know that sometimes it's not as big a thing as you think to make a huge, not as hard on you personally or your company to make a huge difference. Uh, I, I think that's a great message that they can get out. Yeah, I mean, for some of these companies, it's you know it's the difference in selling one more job in the year, and you can even up that pay scale. Now, this is the time of year that traditionally we'd all be gathering in Las Vegas in a ballroom. You'd be on stage uh, with some theatrics, uh, telling us what what's going on for this year. You know, and obviously that's not going to happen in in April. At least it will happen in October, hopefully. Um, you know what do you look forward to for this year and kind of what are those, those things on the horizon you're, you're looking out for to give you hope for this year? Well, there's a few things actually I find uh, hopeful. I mean, from one, one side, I don't think our, our manufacturing really skipped a beat. Uh, uh, although the supply chain is getting more tight. That's an interesting thing that's going on. There's some decisions made earlier uh, in 2020 uh, in Silicon and, integrated mm-hmm. circuits like that that are starting to work their yeah, way through. And, and there was a yeah a silicon factory that went offline right yeah, absolutely and and so we, we actually have invested in millions upon millions of extra dollars of inventory to make sure that we can uh, maintain supply for our customers so i'm looking forward to being able to keep our customers happy uh i think our r d department may have actually gone faster in some ways uh working from home than than working in the office uh, we're still, still going to analyze why that is, uh, but it, it's a good thing. So through this year, we're going to see some amazing things. I mean, we just launched Ultra Acuity, which is, uh, I think, a revolutionary product. Uh, where we're uh, doing something we're called a hyper-converged product, where we're taking uh, our production switcher and putting it into a processing router, and making it even more efficient and a, and a denser, smaller footprint and lower power solution for, for what our customers are needing to do. I mean that's a that's a big deal at NEB. It would have won a best of show without a without a doubt, uh, and and I think we're going to continue to do things like that and uh, and some of our uh, our cloud based products that are evolving as well. So uh, for for things like obviously for remote production, the other thing I'm I'm just hearing about now is that our uh, our live sports and events teams uh, are suddenly in the last few weeks getting run off their feet with with uh, uh asking for specifications systems designs quotations projects that are starting to start up mm-hmm. uh that was like that was sort of one of the best things i heard all week and and it, it i didn't think about it from a business point of view all the obviously that's there it's like well this is something to look forward to but just the hope that uh, that things are going to get more back to normal and that we're going to be able to see, you know, 50,000 people in a stadium cheering their, their lungs out, you know, getting excited about the big game and, yeah. and, and the shared experience in three dimensions that we all miss so much. No more virtual fans. <laughs> more virtual fans. Yeah, the virtual fan business hopefully was a momentary spike. <laughs> I say, yeah, it's... Uh... It was an interesting uh, trial balloon, at least to say the least. Um, you know, so you brought up the the continuing thinking behind cloud versus on prem. Where do you see that balance evening out for broadcasters? Oh, I love that question. Um, one of the things that that uh, I think Ross has really stood for for a long time now is 
uh, having a moderated opinion on everything. Uh, sometimes they, uh, maybe uh, the competition likes to paint us with a with a brush that we're we're not advanced or we're not looking at the next generation thing because we're not all in on it. But the reality is we are all in on it, but we're also in on the things that people are already uh, buying and, and need in their facility. And in the past, you know, we we wanted to make sure that we would have a next generation SDI product like Ultra Security uh, or Carbonate Ultra or something like that. Well, at the same time, uh, we're releasing products and routing and things like that for the IP world. And now, uh, the, the current flavor of the, the month and the, the thing that's obviously the future, and for some customers, the present, is cloud. But that doesn't mean that it's the right thing for everyone. And uh, some of the things that uh, I, I see it's great for is it's, it's enabled not just, you know, what Remy, but fully decentralized remote production. That's fantastic for, for not just for a pandemic, it's fantastic for um, efficiency of use of people. Again, you know, like Remy, you can do multiple shows in a day instead of one show over multiple days. You, 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 you improve your environmental footprint uh, from the point of view of reducing travel and things like that. Uh, on the other hand, it's early days. And we've had some customers that started with cloud production saying, we just have to get on the air and then switched to on-prem dedicated hardware again, saying now that we're, we've got things under control, we, we want to actually be able to do a, a more sophisticated production. We want to be able to do a UHD production. We want to be able to do uh, have, have a better workflow and a, and a more sophisticated feature set. And all those things don't really exist yet in the cloud. Uh, so uh, I think you know the reality is both things are going to coexist for a long time. Cloud is very exciting, but I think we can continue to innovate on-prem. Now, branching off what you just talked about for a second about green, you know, uh, I heard an interesting interview the other day that for the event business, there is going to be a lot of audits that are going to start being done about green and what is the environmental impact of having all these conferences and all these gatherings. Um, is that something that worries you? Oh, for sure. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I, uh, I had the dubious honor for the first time in 2019 of uh, getting 100,000 miles on United Airlines. Uh, you know, on one side, that means that, you know, you're, you're getting out there, you're traveling, you're meeting customers. Uh, on the other side, it means you spend a lot of time like this in your seat, you know, with uh, two people on either side, uh, you know, uh, not being overly productive. And the third thing, you're, you're not being great. Uh, you're, you're traveling and I, 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 so I, uh, I, I hope that, uh, that we can do less travel. Uh, I think we, we've, we've, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. It's going to come up to customers in some ways. It used to be that if you said you want to see the, uh, the CTO of the broadcaster X and they find out you want to do a zoom call with them in 2019, they'd brush you off. If you said, I flew across an ocean to see you, I've been in a hotel, I've been in a cab, and I'm waiting in your lobby for a pre-approved meeting, it's come on up. Well, it's still just an hour. The difference is I spent a day to get there and a day to get back for that one hour, mostly friendly meeting where you maybe get a couple of cool ideas back and forth. I could have done that on Zoom and saved that footprint. The question now is, will those same customers accept a zoom call again when people are traveling or will it be again 
look, you know, I'm more important than Zoom. I want you to be in person. That is the event that gives me the reason to see you. That's a very non-green thing. So I think it goes both ways. I mean, the manufacturers probably should travel less because we don't really need to, but the customers, I think, need to become uh, more green in their expectations as to why we should meet with them and when. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it will be interesting to see what new products emerge that hopefully bridge that gap. Um, you know, obviously, as broadcasters, being able to use the extended reality technology to facilitate those sales meetings and things like that, that, that take it that next step. Um, so for 2021, what is your outlook? Uh, we're, uh, we're planning to have our best year ever, uh, which would be our 31st best year ever uh, in a row. <laughs> Uh, and I think we're, we're heading in a good direction. Um, we've hired probably about 100 and 150 people so far this year into the company. Uh, I think it's uh, later this month or early next month, we expect to cross a thousand or a thousandth employee, uh, which is uh, significant. Uh, and uh, a lot of those people are going into research and development, but also into things that directly impact customers today. So uh, I think it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, we're going to be helping more customers and more market verticals in which uh, we, we help them in. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to be providing even better tech support and services. Uh, and, uh, and just after that, we're going to be providing them with a lot of new products uh, in a lot of new areas. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about that as well. So Hoping that, you know, the pandemic variants, you know, don't come to get us. Hoping as well that uh, everybody does get uh, or enough people get inoculated and that those uh, vaccines uh, work as advertised. I'm, um, I'm optimistic about the future. But even if it doesn't, I think we're still going to have a good year. And in terms of what's driving uh, potentially this growth, do you see it being uh, the U.S. market? Is it China? What what markets do you think are going to be the ones that are going to be hot this year? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> pent up uh, we, demand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pent up demand, uh, and it's also that we are investing in in every area, in every geography, and every product line. We're, we're we're doing sort of an organic growth. So um, there's something for everyone. And then. Uh, you know, Ross is in this unique position in the United States where whether it be at the local broadcast level or at the national level, you know, your products, you know, from a next star, uh, you know, with with whether it be their, their new national newscast or it be their local affiliates, your products range the gamut of, of being used in these instances. Uh, reflect on just, you know, kind of that market position you all are in here. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think... Ross is traditionally aimed at the mid-market, uh, saying, you know, like that, that mid-market television station, that corporate uh, market, uh, and so forth. Uh, at the high-end corporate, you can sort of say mid-market broadcast. Uh, and our, our goal has been to continually add features to the point where the high-end looks at what we're doing and says, that's fantastic, and it's 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 economical, and it works so well. Uh, and then suddenly, those same products are high-end products, and uh, and I think you can see that in a lot of our products and a lot of where we go. So so our strategy, uh, I think, lives in that area. Yeah, you know, NBC News just built and opened their Washington D.C. facility, which has Ross, you know, top to bottom for for the camera robotics, and and they use you all in a lot of their studios. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, we do have some, some products that 
are very interested in that sort of span the market, like uh, our expression graphics, for example. Mm-hmm. We see people, you know, buying that out of their own pocket for their own, you know, one person business. Uh, we see that being used uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, the, the the Olympics and the top events around the world and the, and, and the, uh, the top broadcasters. And of course, the new SoFi Stadium in, uh, in LA uh, is uh, using not just expression, but, you know, dozens and dozens of expression to drive the entire stadium, including, the, I guess, the, the screen they have on the roof, uh, adver- advertising up to planes flying over from uh, LAX. So, I mean, uh, it, it's a pretty broad uh, spectrum that Ross is able to serve now. Um, and then, you know, to close out, where do you think we're headed? You know, we talked a little bit about where we're going to land on the on the, the cloud side of things. Uh, you know, what are these lessons that you're really going to see from work from home uh, for broadcasters? And, and where where is this going to drive us over the next five or 10 years? Well, from the work from home, certainly uh, we've learned that we can do it uh, and that uh and that viewers seem to be okay with uh, the end results of that or had no, no idea, except that sometimes their talent was at home. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you've got a talk show host that's clearly in his house, uh, then, then, you know, everybody's working from home at that point. But uh, a lot of the news programs, you didn't realize that there was work from home. Uh, but for things like sporting events and things like that, where there's a lot of travel, uh, I think we learned that we could accelerate that. I think we learned, I think we learned things that are that the cloud is good at and things that the cloud isn't good at yet uh for example from the point of view of uh perhaps reliability uh we find you know zoom mostly works but it's not the same thing as a dedicated connection or being in the studio or something like that where you don't even question whether it's going to work you you don't worry about whether or not you've got the bandwidth to uh to get uh, uhd or or even 1080p into the cloud and back again uh, um, and so, so we're learning what the pros and cons of those things are. Uh, we, uh, it, it's an interesting thing as well. Uh, we're, we're, we're learning about security and cybersecurity and, and how important things like that are. It used to be often that you, you would never put any part of a, of a program into, the, into some sort of a public internet without a logo and even without a logo without being seriously encrypted because of the value of that. And now we're, we're sending uh, camera feeds through the internet, you know, without a logo, without being encrypted sometimes, just because we have to get that done. Uh, so I think that there's, there's a lot of thinking that's gonna have to go through that as well. And it's a question whether that's a moment in time uh, out of necessity, or is that an, a new way of thinking about the way we, uh, we, uh, we worry about our media? Say so it's always best to end with a question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Broadcast Exchange, and we'll be looking for everything Ross is up to this year. Well, thanks for the interview. I, I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed today's discussion, make sure to like this video below or subscribe to the channel for more broadcast-centric content. The Broadcast Exchange is also available as an audio podcast on all the major platforms with new episodes every two weeks.